0: sightings. Unexplainable to the human reason. Some have sensed these spirits, but have kept these encounters as untold stories. Ghosts. Angels. Demons. We've heard of these unexplainable events. An experience we hope to never have. Things that can only be known as the paranormal. Oh my goodness. That video scares me every time I see it. So I hope you guys don't get scared before we even get started. So um, my name is Bill Hadorn. uh I'm executive pastor of Adult Ministries, and I am just excited to be able to share with you this morning uh, in our paranormal series, but I have to tell you Uh, that preparing for this message uh, has been intense. When you start talking and studying about spiritual warfare, what do you think happens? (laughs) You experience it. And Satan knows exactly where to get me. And so as preparing for this message and just over these past couple weeks, man, I feel like. I feel like what's gonna happen this morning is gonna be intense and powerful for all of us um, because I know there's an enemy out there that doesn't want you to hear what I'm prepared to say to you. So what I'd like to do to start us off is just uh, let's just pray and ask God to move in a powerful way, pray to open our hearts to Him and, uh, and just ask Him uh, just to be in our presence. Father God, I thank you for this group of people this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that we can all be here together to learn about you, to grow in you, and Lord, to really see the the world as it truly is. And Father, I wanna pray right now because there's people at all different maturities and stages in their relationship with you. And so I pray and ask that wherever they're at, that Father, you would meet them at that place. And Lord, that you would draw them towards you with your word. And Father, that they would experience you in such a powerful way that they know that you're real and true, that you would challenge those that need to be challenged and comfort those that need to be comforted here this morning. We pray this in your name, amen, amen. So I used to work for this company uh, in about 1990, I was around 20 years old, and it was, uh, it was a company called Camfell. And Campo Productions, what it was, it was a multimedia company, and you traveled on tour in this van filled with all this media equipment, and you would go to schools and churches and show this presentation. And it was an awesome time. I mean, it was a year, uh, a whole school year of traveling, and um, we got to, to meet all kinds of people all over the country. Uh, and often in, in different strange weird little towns all over the place. Uh, so it was a great, it was, it was just super exciting. Well, one tour when we were on, uh, we ended up in Bakersfield. Anybody familiar with Bakersfield or from Bakersfield? Okay, wow, look at that. Anybody from Bakersfield? Raise your hand. You're gonna admit it? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so we were in Bakersfield. And we had just finished uh, a couple of shows at the school that we were showing, and later that evening we were gonna go show a couple of uh, shows at, at the church, at one of the churches in town. And uh, my, my partner and I, my buddy and I, his name was Randy, usually we would just go out to eat after we would do these schools and, uh, and then come back to the hotel and kind of rest before the next show. But this time we decided to take a walk and we said, well, let's just walk to wherever we're gonna eat. And we ended up walking like five or 10 miles to find food. It was a horrible idea. But on the way back, we started, we started cruising around the streets of Bakersfield like you do. Um, and and we're, we're walking down these streets and all of a sudden as we're turning around this corner we notice this one house. And there's a lady sitting on the porch rocking back and forth and she had this really crazy long brown hair and she had one of those big old moo-moo's on and she was just staring at us rocking back and forth and her house was all dilapidated. I mean, it was a scary looking house. It had a huge chain link fence around the outside. And so as we're walking by, we're kind of looking at her and then uh, we're looking at each other and she's just staring us down. And as we get closer to the house, we're talking and all of a sudden we look over and like in a movie, she's standing at the edge of the gate. And her hair's like all blowing and she goes, Bill and Randy, I know why you're here. And I looked at Randy and... And I said, this, what, how does she know our name? How does she know who we are? She says, Bill and Randy, I know why you're here. Now, at age 44, if I, that would've happened to me now, I would've ran. Uh, like crazy, I would've cried and just went home, fetal position. Th- but at 20, I'm like, this is interesting. <laughs> Bad move. And, uh, and, and so I say, Randy, let's talk to her. And so we, we, I, I grab Randy and we, we walk over to the fence and we're like, how do you know our name? And, and, and Nolai says, they told me. We're like, who's they? You know, and she says, do you wanna come in? And again, I should've ran, but we said, why not? So she goes over, Nolai, she opens the gate, and she just turns around and walks straight into her house. And she just leaves the door open, and so we go walking into her house, this is the stupidest idea, kids don't ever do this. Um, Humans don't ever do this, it's scary. We go walking into the house, she sits us down in her living room and it's clutter everywhere, it's crazy. She sits down and she just starts ranting. She starts saying, I know why you're here, you're here to take my people away, I know why you're here, you need to leave. And, And so I'm looking at Randy, Randy's looking at me and I'm like okay. When you talk to her, I'll pray. When I talk to her, you pray. And so, uh, so we're trying to calm her down, and she just keeps doing. And the whole time she's talking, she's going like this on a piece of paper. Yeah, this is the dumbest idea ever, right? And she's she's doing this while while she's talking to us. And and so Randy Randy begins to ask her some questions. Is like, well, what do you mean? How do you know why we're here? And she's, oh, I know you're here to take away my people. And as Randy's talking with her, and I'm praying. I look over and I'm like, what is she drawing, because don't, wouldn't you want to know? And I look and she's, she's drawing these disfigured bodies on a piece of paper. Just all over. She's not even watching, but she's drawing them all over the place. And then like, a, like another scene from a movie, I, I, I'm starting to be aware of my surroundings and I look and all over her house are little sheets of paper with these figures all over them, they're all in these contorted positions and different things. And then she starts talking some more and she starts saying, she starts getting really irate, her eyes start bulging out and she says, I know why you're here and I want you to leave, you shouldn't be here, we have a lot of work to do here. Words like that just keep going over and, and, and Randy and I were like, well can we pray for you? you know, smart, you know, and then all of a sudden these big black wings come out of the back and she hovers and, f- no, I'm just kidding, she didn't. <laughs> that, <laughs> but you know what, tonight when you're in bed and that lady's under your bed tonight, you're gonna freak out, right? You're gonna be like, <laughs> you guys here? I'm just kidding. I, I seriously still get scared when I think about this. We began praying for, her. she, and here's what happened, long story short, because it does go on. Through our conversation, through our prayer, we ended up at one point, she started screaming, yelling, and then she stopped and said, hey, can you guys take me to the grocery store? (laughs) I'm not kidding. And we hung out with her the rest of that night. And we got to share with her and witness with her and share God's love with her. Now we never saw the manifestation of whatever that was that came out in that beginning part. Um, We never understood all that, but we did get to spend that time and share God with her. Now, now here's what I want to get at. We went home that night after we hung out with her and what do you think happened in the hotel room, right? What do you think happened to 20-year-old guys who are on the front lines of spiritual warfare? We were on fire. I mean, we were were so excited and I mean, we're scared to death. Right, and, and those pictures of that lady are still in my head 20 years later. But we were so excited, and in fact, we broke open our Bibles, I think we studied the word until like 3 a.m., we prayed all night long, and we're like, man, this is the best job ever, can't believe we get paid to do this, and we get, now why do I say this? Because I don't believe, and, 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 and you may disagree with me, I don't believe, I don't believe that was a win for Satan. That lady manifesting herself helped me grow as a, as a believer. That lady showing herself and all of her craziness helped me run closer to Christ. See in, in, in America it's a, it's different than in a third world country. In a third world country, you know what, there's demon possessions that happen all the time. I mean, guys walking down the street, oh yeah, there's Bob the demon possessed guy, and it's no big deal. Here when we see it, we freak out and we run to God. Now again, that's a generalization, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying overall, why is it in other countries when those things happen, people don't turn to God, but here they do? And here's why I'm getting to that. Because we're talking about spiritual warfare and sometimes we think that spiritual warfare is these big outer things that happen. These huge people that, you know, these, these demons that come and they hover in the middle of the night and they scare us to death, but those actually draw us to God. I'm convinced Satan's tactic isn't spiritual warfare, but it's spiritual terrorism. It's what you can't see, it's what you aren't aware of, that gets us most. Turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter, chapter 5. Did you see the way I pulled my Bible out of my back pocket? That's pretty cool. I planned that. I was like practicing backstage, okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, listen to what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says. Very simple, it says this, it says, be controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, listen to this, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Oh, great. So your enemy is like a lion, now what does a lion do, is a, a lion is out in the back and, and he knows he's waiting, he's waiting to pounce and he's waiting to attack and he's sitting there and he's planning his attack and he's looking for the weak person and he's going around and, he, and when he's ready, he's gonna go and devour. When he finds the weakness of the person, he knows where to get him and then he goes in for the kill. And it's not that he just wants to hurt them or maim them, no, he wants to destroy them. Lynn talked about this last week and a couple of weeks ago as well. Satan wants to destroy you and I. Satan wants to hurt us, to to tear us apart. And you know what, what is his job? What is his response, I mean really when you look at it, here's what it comes down to. He's gonna do anything he can to put a wedge between you and God. He's gonna do anything he can to put a wedge between you and your spouse. He's gonna do anything he can to put a wedge between you and your family. He's gonna do anything he can to put a wedge between you and your church, you and anything, why? Because he wants to separate you, move you out to the sides so he can pounce on you and attack you. I'm not here to freak you out, but I'm here to freak you out. (laughs) Because that's the truth. And 1 Peter is very, very clear that he's in for the attack. And so I call this spiritual terrorism. Now let me say what this is and what this isn't. Okay, a spiritual attack isn't when you're driving home from work and you run out of gas, Satan isn't out to get you if you forgot to fill your tank. Okay, as my friend Chris Brown says, uh, that's not Satan, that's stupid, okay. because like, oh, I'm under attack, I'm under attack, I ran out of gas, well did you fill your tank? No. Okay, <laughs> you're not under attack. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, if you filled your tank with gas and you ran out of gas on the way home, now that might be an attack from Satan, right? Because it's a whole different story. So what is it and what isn't it? What isn't it? You, we, we've gotta make sure, Satan isn't under every rock, but there are some things that he does that he terrorizes us with, that he, he gets in there and he separates us with. And sometimes we don't even know what it happens, when it's happening. You know, terrorism, you, you don't know. It happens when someone's sitting on a bus, or it happens, it even happens on the internet when they bomb our whole infrastructure. I mean, you just don't know when it happens, but when it does, there's such destruction. And that's what the enemy does. So I believe, through my years of ministry, and again, you can disagree with me, I'm, I'm cool with that, but this is what I've seen, as, as how, how spiritually terrorist Satan is and some of the things that he's done. And so I, I just came up with four tactics that he uses. And if you, if you have a pin, you might wanna write these down, you might wanna remember these, so if they do happen to you, that you'll know. Um, but these are the things I've seen over the years that have just absolutely destroyed people, and it's crazy because they're simple things, but they've laid people low. They've separated them. They put a wedge between them and God, them and the church, them in community. Tactic, no, tactic number one is this, and I believe Satan does this all the time. He whispers in your ear, right? You know what? Ah, you're a good person. You don't. You don't need God's for you. You're good. In fact, have you seen those people around you at Cornerstone? and they're pretty messed up. But you, you kind of got this together, and, and yeah, you know, I mean, you're not in prison, right? I mean, you haven't murdered anyone, you, you know, you've only told white lies, not really big lies, but just little lies, and you know, you, you've only cheated on your taxes a couple of times, so you're a pretty good person. You're not a good person. I'm not a good person. The Bible says, that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we are all in the same boat. So I want you to look at the person next to you right now, and even if they're someone you don't know, it's gonna be awkward, and just say, you're not a good person. (laughs) All right. Did you get punched? Did you get, okay. Okay, you may be an alright person, but you're not a good person. And why do I say that, why is that so important? Because listen to what this does, listen to why this is such a terrorist attack. Because when we believe we're so good, what do we do? We put ourselves above others. And when we put ourselves above others, what does that do? That separates us from them. And then we also think that we're better so we have a higher standing in God's eyes. And therefore we come in thinking we are holier than thou. And you know what, I mean, I I could walk on water, I could do, I do everything right. Guys, that's one of the biggest lies of Satan, it's one of the the hugest tactics of saying that you're a good person. Now, see, God isn't comparing you and someone else, and so let me illustrate it this way. Let's say this was the standard of living, okay, this box, I don't know how we're gonna, Okay. So let's say the whole goal of life, the whole, our whole standard was, was you know what, like getting the ball in the box. Okay, so, so that, that's all that matters, you know, and here's Bill's standard of living, you know, pretty easy, so hey, I can do that. But let's say like, you know, I'm Ryan Axtell, and maybe I'm a, I'm a little, you know, I, ha- I have a little bit higher standards. I, I'm gonna miss this, and it's gonna be really embarrassing. Oh, man. Come on, give me a hand, yeah. See, our standards when we compare with each other, I mean, it's like from here to here. Maybe, you know what, maybe I don't sin as much and I don't end up in prison, but man, I'll tell you, there's times that I've lied. And the Bible says, you know, it's interesting that if you, if you hate someone in your heart, it's the same as murder. So I've murdered. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, can I borrow you real quick? Sorry, I know is embarrassing. And you don't really have to do anything. Take this box and head to the back right by that video camera back there. Give him a hand, what's your name? Tony, Tony? thanks Tony. He's never coming back. Um, keep going. All right, now see this is God's standard. Now if I can make this wiffle ball in that box, you think I could do it? Jesus just caught my (laughs) There's Jesus in the audience Okay I'm not even going to come close I'm not Tony go ahead and come back Thank you for your help Give Tony a hand I'm not even going to come close To his standard So why would I then compare myself With other people See, because God's standard is way above ours, therefore, no one is good. That's why Jesus came, because no one of us is good. Look at what it says in Titus chapter three, go ahead and turn there, or it'll be up on the screen here. In Titus chapter three, in verse four, it's it's over to the left a little bit. It's a weird book, because in in my Bible, it's only one page, because the font is so small. Page 924. (laughs) You don't have my Bible. Um, So listen to what it says. It says this, in verse four, it says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, listen to what it says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, You saved us, okay, so the truth, here's the lie. The lie is you're good, here's the truth. That Satan's lie, the truth is none of us is good and we're not saved or we don't have a relationship with God by anything that we have done but by what God has done for us. So I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to prove myself to anyone All I have to do is surrender myself to God. So it says, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. That's the only way. And so the the, the lie is, oh no, you're good, and if you do good things, that'll, that'll save, that's, Satan gets us caught up on this all the time, especially in the church. Says it's not about the righteous things that you do. So that's tactic number one. Tactic number two is this, write this down. You don't belong. This is on the opposite end of that same spectrum. See, there's some people who are extremely prideful and they feel they're extremely good. There's some people on the opposite end of that spectrum that are extremely downtrodden and they feel that there is no hope. And maybe you walked in this morning and, and you looked around and you said, you know what, I don't fit in here. I don't belong here. My family isn't like this, these families or God could never forgive the things that I've done. Man, if people knew who I really was. And so we come into church and we put on the, hey, good, how you doing, great, oh man, just good, And then we leave. You, you know what's crazy? In a, in a group this size, every Sunday, it, you can feel so alone if you're not connected. I'll be honest, when my wife and I first started coming to Cornerstone, I've been in church for years, years. And I remember walking on campus and just how exciting and, and, and people were talking and there was so much going on and I remember feeling, and I knew it wasn't, it was an attack, I knew it, it was, you know what? Man, look at all these people are having fun and you're, you and your wife are by yourself, right? That's what he does. He separates, he puts a wedge between you and people and you and God, and it's this terrorist attack that's, you know what, it it works all the time. Turn over to Romans chapter five and look at this with me, to the left, just a, a few books over, a few pages. Listen to what he says. He says, guys, if you are feeling that God could never accept you. If you are feeling that you don't belong, maybe because of your past, or because of something that you've done, or just be, for whatever reason, listen to what this says, I love this, in, in, in chapter five, verse six, it says this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I, this is what I want you to know. He didn't die for the perfect person, he died for me, the broken person. The person that doesn't have it all together. The person who has a, been a Christian for years and still struggles, I still have issues, I still have things that I'm working through. I'm not gonna be perfected till I'm with him. But I'm aware of it and I'm moving forward. And here's the other thing, I choose to belong. I choose to step out and know that there are other people who may feel the same, and so when I get into that place or I feel like I don't belong, you know what I do? I choose to belong. I know that's hard, but that's part of fighting spiritual terrorism. Listen as he goes on, he says this. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you remember that? It wasn't because you were perfect. It was because he was perfect. And so don't let that tactic get to you. When you start feeling that you don't fit or you start feeling that things aren't working out, remember it may be coming from spiritual terrorism. It may be coming from that. That's tactic number two. Tactic number three is this. Too many rules. Oh my goodness. And I hear this one all the time. I hear this one all the time, especially with people who, uh, who just start coming to church. And I understand, I get it. Because when, you, when you're not a Christian, you really can do whatever you want. And you don't have to feel guilty about it. And so I think one of Satan's hugest lies is to look at the church and say, yeah, too many rules. That's, you don't want to be there. Because you know what happens if you're a Christian? You have to go to church. And that's on Sunday, because football's on Sunday. All right, you don't want to miss that. Golf, you're gonna, you could do a great golf game during that time. And he does everything he can to separate you out. Does everything he can to say, hey, you know what? You don't want to do that, you, you, you know what, you, you own your world and you know what, you make those choices and you don't want God telling you what to do, that's just way too many rules. Now here's the thing, I think rules are way better. So I got married, I did, someone married me. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, my wife is absolutely amazing. Nineteen years ago, we got married. And I don't once regret not dating anymore. I haven't once sat there and thought, man, okay, I'm married and now I can't date anymore. I'm so bummed out. I mean, there is no chance, you know why number one is my wife is amazing and incredible and there is no woman that could even come close to how amazing and incredible she is. There's not one. And we know each other, we've known each other for so long, like why would I even want to do that? So. To me, not dating anymore is not a rule, right? But rather, being married is a privilege. Being married is a privilege. Just like having a relationship with God is a privilege, not a rule. Oh, so I can't go out and get drunk and wasted and puke all the next day. Oh, wow, that's, that's a privilege to me. And yeah, you know what? Let's be honest, sin is fun. It is, for a while, a friend of mine on Facebook and used to be a Christian fell away because he just wanted to live the party life. He's like in his 40s and he's still like a teenager. Every single night, I'm so miserable, I'm so bored. Any parties going on out there? Somebody, come on, come on over to the house, we'll smoke out, come on man, we'll, and and you know what, He is miserable. But he's doing exactly what he wants when he was walking with God, when he was walking with Christ, and, and he had rules and things in place, you know what? Those rules set him up for an incredibly productive, awesome, incredible life. But he chose otherwise, he chose his own. So those rules actually lead us toward a better life, lead us towards something amazing. And, and, and sometimes Satan will get in there and he'll say, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to follow all those rules. So, I believe living for God is the best possible way to live. If it wasn't, he wouldn't be God. He knows how we work. And yeah, is it the most fun? No. Is it always without heartache? Absolutely not, there's tons of heartache. But in the end, is it the most fulfilling? Absolutely. Because we have rules and regulations and there's a privilege there, and we grow spiritually and move towards being more like Christ, those things are tough and hard. John 10.10, it's it's amazing because it simply says this. It says the thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Do you believe that? So that's truth. Here's truth, right? Satan's lie is too many rules set you back. The truth is Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And I always ask this question, right? So how's that life working for you? How's it working? You know, Dr. Phil, that's what he says all the time. So how's that working for you, making your own decisions, doing your own things? Because that's one of Satan's biggest, oom spiritual terrorism. Tactic number four. You know what's interesting, we just did a, a huge survey of this area um, and so we went out and did the demographics, we did how you know, where are people at financially, we went in all of your bank accounts and we saw how much you have and credit cards and uh, I'm just kidding. Um, that was good though, you believed it for a minute. Um, but the reason is because we want to know our community and you know what's interesting, we came back is, here's one of the things that our community struggles with is that. Um, we have everything we need. And that's seen as a struggle. Because what happens is, is when you don't have a lot of need, you become complacent, right? If if you got everything taken care of. And so one one of Satan's terrorist attacks that gets us, another one of his tactics is this, is that you don't need God. Why? Because you've got it covered. You've got it covered. You know what? If something goes wrong, well, if I lose my job, then you know what? I've got money in the bank that's going to take care of us. I'm good. We're good. I don't have to depend on God. My kids are taking care of They're doing good. My family's doing... Man, everything... You know what? Everything is great. Man, in fact, we're, we're doing really good. We can go out, we can go on vacation, we can do what we want, we can live how we want. I don't really have to depend on God for anything. I don't have to look to him or ask him or because I don't have any needs, because I took care of them all. And so one of his biggest things is that you can take care of it, that you depend on your own strength and not his strength. Turn over to Revelation chapter 3, the last book of the Bible, it's where this all ends. In Revelation chapter 3. What's happening here is John's having a vision of certain churches. And there's a particular church called the Church of Laodicea. Now some history on the Church of Laodicea. What happened was in AD 70, right around the time this was written, in Laodicea and some other areas there was a giant earthquake which destroyed most of the town, uh, just into shambles. Nero, Emperor Nero at the time wanted to go in and say, to Laodicea and say, hey, Man, I feel bad for you guys. I mean, you just had this huge earthquake, and I want to help you build. And uh, can we bring any of the finances from from Rome in to to help rebuild your city? And and the people of Laodicea said, no. We don't need your help. We can take care of it. Now listen to what Jesus says to the church of Laodicea. In chapter 3, verse 17, he says this. He says... He's talking to the church and he says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. So he's taking them back to that time when they rejected help. Have you ever rejected someone's help when you really needed it because you were prideful? Because you want to depend on yourself and not the body of Christ or people to help you? That's what's happening here. And he says, you say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. And then he says this, but you do not know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And then he just hammers them and he says, hey, yeah, you may have all the finances, but what you don't understand is you're wretched, you're poor, you're pitiful, you're blind, and you're naked. And then later he goes, why don't you buy from me the things that you need? I will take care of you. And that's what he asks us. Guys, we're coming to this huge campaign. And you know what, I'm not here. What is it that you can give that you're gonna have to trust God? That you might have to step out and say, you know what, this might hurt a little bit. So I don't have to depend on my needs where I can trust God to say he's gonna take care of us. So I can buy another purple chair for someone that matters in eternity. That's what this is about. You don't need God. And that's one of Satan's tactics for getting us. So, let's bring this all together. How do we not fall for his tactics? Well, number one is to be self-aware. I used to go clubbing a lot. I know this is gonna be really embarrassing and I shouldn't share this, but I'm going to. I used to love to dance, you know? This was way back, this was, gosh, yeah, I shouldn't even say this, but, uh, and, and we used to do, every Thursday, Friday night, they would have these huge clubs where we lived. And uh, you know, I'm Christian, I'm working at church and doing all kinds, but still would go out to these clubs. Don't ask me why, messed up. I led this person to the Lord, and I said, hey, come hang out with us at the club. And they were like, huh? You know, like, I don't get it. And I go, no, no, come on, it's cool. And so, I brought this person along and we were sitting there and I remember all of us walking into the club. and. And I'm out there dancing, you know, I my you know, and, and uh, that's exactly how I danced. <laughs> everybody, has a big space around me, everybody watching, yeah. um, laughing. Um, that whole thing about not fitting in, that's how I felt right there. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden in the midst of it, I hear God's voice. What are you doing here? never heard it before, over the music, the craziness, and I started looking around you guys and I started realizing, oh my goodness, and I looked over here and I saw what this couple was doing and I looked over here and saw what these people were doing and I looked over here and not that, I'm not being legalistic, I'm just saying it wasn't in an environment that I should have been in and I looked at the person I just led to the Lord and they had their hands like this sitting down because I wasn't self-aware of what was going on around me. And so, I remember I grabbed him, I said, we gotta get out of here, we left. Never been back since that time. Never went back ever to, to any type of club or anything like that ever again. And the reason was because God made me aware of the spiritual things that were happening around me. Now, 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 why am I saying this? It's just God wants to make you aware of the spiritual things that are happening around you. When you start experiencing these thoughts, you start experiencing these things, you start going to these places, and there's many more, these are just four, but when you, and all of a sudden you start realizing you need to be self-aware. In our New Believers class, uh, which is awesome, we, we have a New Believers class, so if any of you are brand new to the faith, we'd love to have you in that class. It meets every week, uh, starting today, actually. Uh, at the 10.30, and we sit and we start talking, and one of the guys was sharing last week, and he was saying, you know what? I said, what, what's the biggest impact that this has had on your, on your walk with God? And he said, I, I've just become aware. I, I'm so aware of spiritual things around me He's in tune, it's like a radio. You tune it in perfectly. And so that's where I hope you get today is that you get in tune to that radio and to say, okay, here's, what does God have for you? And how can you live that life? And here's the thing, you can't do it without two things. Number one, you can't get in tune without the word of God in your life because that, don't you notice, everything I talked about, guys, everything I talked about here, how do you fight the lies? Everything is with the Word of God. You cannot get away from it. You have to go to it. So if you don't know it, where do you go to find it? Community. You have to be surrounded by people that you can go and ask questions and pray for you and be in some type of community together where you're learning, where it's not just me to you but you're actually somewhere saying, hey, you know what, I have a question about that. Or I don't get this. Or help me understand that because you can't do it alone. And my challenge for you is this, is to step out and say, hey, how can I get involved? How can I connect outside of the Sunday morning experience? How can I go to one of the small churches that meet every Sunday? We have many of them. Can I go to the men's ministry, the women's? Can I join, let you and your wife join a small group. Connect at a place where you're not alone, where Satan, when he does attack, you're ready for it. So in a few minutes we are gonna take communion together and I want you to think about this because I think this is awesome. There's no better way for the body of Christ to come together than through communion which basically means common unity, communion, like community, we, we commune together under one purpose. And so as you do that, as you take communion today, remember it's not just about you. It's not just about you, let's pray. God, I thank you I thank you for the challenge for me and I thank you for the challenge for this group of people and I pray, Lord, that we would, we would always fight Satan's tactics with your word, but we have to know your word and challenge us to get into your word and challenge us to get into community where we don't have to do this alone. And so I wanna pray and ask that you move in us that you make us aware of what's going on in our lives. And so when those attacks come on our family, on us, on those things around us, that we would see them, we would understand them. We thank you so much for your word and how it changes us. In your name, Jesus, we pray, amen.